mental health is something that we really don't talk about much in the Asian American community, even though like the way we grow up with like immigrant parents and certain stigmas that the Asians bring over makes it worse. I think it always helps to like understand that some quote unquote bad things you do to yourself are not because of something inherently wrong with you, but like something you learned while you were young. Right. There's a difference, especially with shame. It's the concept of there being something wrong with you and not the behavior. And usually therapy is like, no, it's the behavior that's bad and that's what we're going to change. And that's where we unpick the shame and we say, no, we're going to just pick this one behavior and work on changing it. And that's why like having trigger warnings is such a big deal because the more you can avoid the triggers, the more you can avoid the behavior that's associated with it. Exactly, yeah. Welcome to the Asian Detox Podcast, the podcast where we boldly reclaim Asian American prosperity. We have relatable conversations about how being Asian American shows up in our day-to-day lives, how money is deeply embedded in our culture, and how you can choose to define your own version of success in a world that tries to tell us how to be. I'm your host, TJ Wei, your hashtag very Asian, non-binary, gluten and dairy-free money habits coach. And I want you to know that you don't have to live in the boxes other people put you in. You can design your abundant life in a way that honors your heritage while enjoying a life of ease and alignment. And you can do it while making money and building generational wealth. Today, I am so excited to have Karen Zhang on the podcast. We've been trying to record this several times <laughs> just uh you know some technical difficulties and we've been talking quite a bit i think we have a lot in common karen has grown up in the atlanta georgia area and is currently taking a gap year from her secondary education and she recently got into the roots words winter writers retreat so welcome to the podcast karen yeah thank you so much for having me before we get too far will you let the audience know how they can find you Sure. So I'm a host of another podcast called MX Asian American. So if you're interested in that, you can find MX Asian American on Instagram at MX Asian American. Or you can find me um, on my personal Instagram. It's underscore underscore K dot Z. Awesome. So icebreaker question. If your parents ran into an acquaintance out in public, what would they say about you? (laughs) I don't know if they say this like right in front of me or like just behind my back, but probably something along the lines of like, oh, she's like leech in the house. She's just leeching off us. Okay, let's dig into that a little bit. Why do you think they would say that you're leeching off of them? I think mostly because I am in a profession that earns zero money. Also, I am taking a gap year and living with them right now. (laughs) But yeah, so I was an English and creative writing major and I do poetry, which for a lot of Asian families, you know, is definitely a (laughs) no-no or like a lot of them don't even know what that means. They're like, what can you do afterwards? (laughs) Right, right. That's not something that has a clear career path. Yeah, exactly. So what did they say when you picked that major? They didn't say anything really. I think it was mostly like they ignored me because I went to a good school, right? Okay, so there was like a school prestige aspect. <laughs> yeah. But when they got into the details, they were just like in denial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. So they had like something to brag about, and they were just like, she's really smart and studies a lot. But that's it mostly. And then now I'm home 
for my gap year to save money, of course, because <laughs> I have none. Yep. And then she or my mom mostly she would be like pestering me she's like so when are you gonna find an actual job so what's gonna happen next year or like blah blah blah. we're at the end of the year right so that's how it is at home okay so this season we're talking about self-care and when we connected we were saying that we wanted to talk about mental health and that Mm -hmm. that was very important to you so would you give us a little bit of background about what mental health means to you Yeah, that's so hard. I think, of course, it looks different for everybody. So for me, I think I'll just talk about therapy, I guess. Um, So therapy is really important, but I would not say that like it's essential to your mental health. It'd be like very helpful because I know a lot of people can't afford it like me. Right. It's pricey. I only got therapy like the first for the first time in college because my college insurance covered it oh yeah but other than that i've never gotten therapy but i guess other than not having therapy just like the day-to-day life just handling things by yourself using like the little knickknacks or tools or like activities you find for yourself to keep you going Yeah, it's going to get really dark in here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's very common, right? Especially like there's a sense of like not wanting to be a burden. Like I'm hearing you already using the language of being a leech on your family. So Mm -hmm. there's a concept of like when you're dealing with something that only you can see, it's so easy to hide it from other people Mm -hmm. that you just do it instinctively. Yep. And now I'm working this this comes with so much guilt as well, right? Because mm-hmm. my family came here as immigrants and they sacrificed so much. And I like saw my mom working so hard I was, as I was growing up, right? And I feel like as a sort of compensation to being at home, I've been like, found this new job that's like super tiring. It's like a serving job, but it's like, mm. they're so busy. The money's good, of course, but I'm so tired right. like all the time, right? But of course, your physical health doesn't really matter if you earn enough money. Because <laughs> then you can just throw your money at it, right? Like afterwards. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's something about like the Asian work ethic that like you're supposed to like there's almost a matter of like pride in the suffering aspect that like you earned whatever it else it is that you get out of it. Usually it's a financial piece, but there's so much pride around that. And there's a lot of like. Asians, I had another guest come on, Amanda, she said that like, we connect to each other by complaining. So sometimes when we're complaining about how hard Mm -hmm. our work is, Mm -hmm. we're really humble bragging and connecting with each other. Yep, exactly. That's also like, going back to like the competitiveness of like high school, right? Everybody is just like, oh, I worked so hard. I spent so much time studying for this test, blah, blah, blah. And then the other person would be like, what? That's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My roommate calls that a pissing contest. And I'm like, I don't know any other way to explain that. That's basically what that is, right? Like, it's the dumbest thing that you're watching happen. And you're like, why? Huh? But it's like a natural phenomenon that happens, especially in high school. I don't think I saw it near as much in my college. Mm -hmm. But what about your experience? In college, my college experience is way different from my high school experience because where I grew up was very like diverse and 
we had a lot of Asians. Some people call this place like Little Korea. Okay. Yeah, you wouldn't think about that in Georgia. But if you come, you'll know. Uh, I barely <laughs> missed that because actually walking around in Atlanta with my cousins and my, my cousins are mixed. My cousin is Asian, like on my dad's side, and then he married a Jewish woman. So it basically went the whole like white direction. And then I'm in their neighborhood and I see black people and white people. That's it. I was like, I see more Asians in Arizona than I saw in Atlanta. Yeah. So I think Atlanta is mostly like black and white. And then if you go more outside of it and there's a Hispanic like pocket, of course, and then there's a huge Asian pocket which is like a little bit more outside of Atlanta. Okay, next time I'm renting a car and I'm going all over. I'll be a tour guide. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And then going to college, I went to Dartmouth and it was like so white that I was like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I couldn't believe like there's so many white people at one place. What the? I was like so astonished. I was like the only person of color like in a classroom. Not even the only Asian, but the only person of color. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. And I was like, damn. Honestly, it was college that was like my racial awakening, I guess, was like, because I realized that I was really the minority here and the rest of America looks like this. And so I started really digging into my identity then. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate. But I want to stay on the concept of mental health and ask, since you said, you started therapy in college, but like, I'm sure that didn't just happen. So what brought you to the point where you said, oh, this is available to me and I'm going to go use it? Yeah. Okay. A lot of things. (laughs) So in, I guess, sophomore year of high school, this is like, I don't remember what year it was, but yeah, sophomore year of high school, I got really depressed mostly because of this straight girl that I was into, Mm. which is not a move to make, y'all. Do not fall (laughs) for straight girls. Do not try this. (laughs) But of course, in high school, we were all like, oh, let me try anyway. Yeah, no, it was not good. (laughs) So I became really depressed and then started cutting myself. Probably should get trigger warnings for this episode. Sorry, should have told you that beforehand. Yeah. And then after that, my first relationship was like almost immediately after I let go of the straight girl and she was just a crush, but she was very toxic. Like she also had her own issues that she had to deal with. Mm -hmm. I also like had a suspicion that she was not eating enough. And then she also cut herself. So it was just bad for both of us. Right. Because now you're kind of like encouraging each other, reinforcing a behavior. Exactly. Uh Uh-huh because she wasn't eating enough I was also it was like also affecting me a little bit so I also started to eat less and less yeah. so like gradually I became anorexic so I was anorexic for about two months I think so it's not very long but of course like the mental effects are lasting and I think I fully recovered now which I'm super grateful about congratulations um, thank you um but it took me like years and years like at least five years wow but yeah, my lowest weight was like 95 pounds, like below 100. And how tall are you? I am a five foot five. <laughs> okay, you're an inch shorter than I am. And there's no way I can barely, if I go under 114 without any muscle on me, uh-huh. I am like bedridden. So I cannot imagine getting below 100. 
Uh-huh. And I think the thing that snapped me out of it, that I, I made like a conscious decision to be like, I can't do this anymore. It was like, so I would go on these runs every morning at a park nearby and I would just sit at the benches afterwards. So I was just like sitting on a bench and it freaking hurt to sit. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not supposed to hurt to sit. <laughs> yeah, I had like nothing on my butt. So it yeah, was just no like glutes bone on the bench. So I was like, uh, this is not, no. <laughs> it's Yeah, you, you've suddenly decided that like, as a quality of life thing, this is, wasn't going to work for you. <laughs> I was like, I can't have cushions everywhere at home. <laughs> yeah, you're already in the like, I can't afford therapy. So affording like 100 cushions is probably not it either. Yeah, exactly. So then after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to start my recovery journey. Because this is not it. Oh, at that point, we had already broken up. <laughs> me and my the toxic girlfriend. Right. So the influence was gone. Yeah, exactly. And then on and off through high school this is like junior year now where I was anorexic and then on and off throughout high school I'd be cutting myself because I think well this is like what I learned after I went to therapy that it's a coping mechanism for me to mm -hmm. cut myself right right as a sort of it's also a punishment strategy but also like because I didn't have any other tools that I could mm. use to calm my like rising anxiety or like feelings or anything like that I would resort to like cutting myself because gotcha I noticed that immediately after I did it I would feel better interesting would you talk through for me like why that is because I imagine like through therapy you must have learned yeah so honestly I don't still don't really know why that is but <laughs> it has something to do with like Maybe I grew up thinking that like punishment or some sort of punishment was like the way to solve problems like immediately, right? Right. Like that was the structure. Mm -hmm. So like I bet everybody was like spanked as they were growing up, right? <laughs> yeah, I was too, but I wasn't spanked that often. But I just remember this one instance that my dad slapped me so hard I started bleeding like through my nose because of like... This little thing. I dropped his phone somewhere. It's always like when you break something. I know. I was always like breaking dishes. Uh -huh. <laughs> but that was like the immediate retribution, I guess. But mm -hmm. yeah. And then like I would feel like I needed to be punished because I was not good enough in X, Y, and Z. Mm. So then that would be an option for punishing myself. I would also punish myself by overexercising. I realized that too. Because you're looking for that pain. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I still don't know why this like physical sensation of pain helps. But one of my friends sent me a video once that maybe I can dig up that explains sort of like when I have like these anxiety attacks, it's like I can't focus on anything other than like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right. I can't think about it. You anything, start spiraling. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And cutting myself like the feeling of pain would help me kind of redirect my brain so they can focus on something okay yeah it cuts through the noise yeah so it cuts through the noise and then so then I have a target or something to focus on and then I can ground myself after that gotcha yeah yeah because then you can pick the next new thought that isn't in that cycle exactly uh-huh got it so 
now that you've stopped cutting yourself, what other tools are you using? I want to say I've fully recovered from cutting myself, but it's been a lot better. Um, I noticed I like to journal when I feel like I have a lot of thoughts that are building up or just doing some doodling. doesn't have to be any drawing at all just like lines around just some way to express yourself Uh exactly so i'm kind of noticing a pattern because we've listed three things that don't involve talking to other people or even making a sound (laughs) yes i'm very like much i have to be alone and i can't really see people i guess one is because like i'm an introvert and i really don't like talking to a lot of people And I need to, like, conserve my energy by myself. Yep. Yep. I'm the same way. But I think also the second part is, like, there's a shame behind it for sure. Even when I was, like, going through it in high school, I was always hesitant to talk to my friends about it because... Did they know? They did know, yeah. And they were, like, a huge support system for me, the ones I told. Mm -hmm. But, like, the initial, like, talking to them about it was really hard. But, of course, my parents didn't know but i did talk to my mom once about this because things were getting bad okay so like did you talk to her specifically about you or just in general about mental health about me okay i think like family dynamics were really tense to during that time i don't even remember why i think i was being a angsty teenager it's possible <laughs> <laughs> so i sat her down and we had this like crying session and i was like i showed her my cuts like on my arm Oh, and my scars. And I told her I was anorexic and I've been cutting myself. And we both cried about it. Thinking about the stuff, tearing up too. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah, she was like, well, she gave me such a different reaction than I thought she would. Okay. So what did you think she was going to do? I thought she would be like, this is not real. What are you talking about? Like just denial. Oh, okay. The denial thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then she was like, if you really need to go to a doctor, we could go to a doctor. And I was like, oh, my God, because like. Right, because we're, we're also in that territory of like, especially people of color. But I also feel like Asians, especially around mental health, like going to a doctor is also shameful. Mm-hmm. And to have your mom volunteer that, right? Like, to me, that means a lot. Yeah. And also, we had no money. <laughs> yeah. Like, none of us went to doctors in the house. And I was like, oh, my gosh. But of course, after that conversation, nothing else was talked about and we never talked about it ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how that happens, right? Like, I think in households where you don't talk about your emotions, it very much becomes something where the dam breaks and you all feel like you made some progress. And then it somehow, like, because habits are the way they are, it takes a conscious effort to change them and if there's not like a conversation about what or how it should change, then it just reverts back to whatever it was before. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, because of all of this that has happened, I was like, I need therapy. So I got it in college. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. And how did you feel like your therapy experience went? So I didn't go to therapy for very long because... My insurance only covered for one term of school. Oh. And also had COVID in the middle of my college career. So it was near the end of my college career, but I went for like three months or so. And I say I was lucky to get a person of color first of all. (laughs) Yes, it helps a lot. (laughs) And 
I think it was like in the moment I didn't realize how helpful it was but like in hindsight I think it was helpful like I mean I did my I did like pre-therapy appointment notes and then post notes so I could compare Mm -hmm. but I think I learned a lot about myself and then have realized some of the things I do I think it always helps to like understand that some like quote-unquote bad things you do to yourself are not because of something inherently wrong with you but like something you learned while you were young Right. There's the, I want to be like clear for people, right? There's the difference, especially with shame. It's the concept of there being something wrong with you and not the behavior. Mm -hmm. And usually therapy is like, no, it's the behavior that's bad. And that's what we're going to change. And that's where we unpick the shame and we say, no, we're going to just pick this one behavior and work on changing it. And that's why like having trigger warnings is such a big deal because the more you can avoid the triggers, the more you can avoid the behavior that it's associated with. Exactly. Yeah. As a first-generation Asian-American, I grew up trying to fit into the boxes other people put me in. I considered acting, voice acting, and writing as career options when I was little, but ended up joining corporate America as an IT project manager to take the Asian parent-approved path. The good news is, it's not too late for me to follow those more creative goals, but I didn't have the energy to work both my corporate job and follow those passions. And I couldn't shake the cultural directive to be financially stable so that my parents wouldn't have to worry about me. It's so ingrained in me that it's difficult to focus on more creative pursuits or what might be considered passion projects without the financial backing to support myself. That's why I'm such a big fan of building systems and financial foundations that leverage my hashtag very Asian frugal money habits and the more expansive abundance mindset that I strive to embody every day. While sitting at my corporate job feeling like there must be more to life than this, I spent years learning and absorbing information about how to become financially independent, invest in real estate and stocks, and build a business. And now, I'm on track to retire by 40. But more than that, I have the freedom to dress how I want, because how I dress now is certainly not considered professional, adopt unconventional pronouns, and work fewer hours to support my physical and mental health. I get to choose what clients I work with, who I spend time with, and what boundaries I need to set in order to keep the toxic expectations and hustle culture at bay. And I want that for you too. If you're ready to make your next big money move and build the financial foundations you need to feel like you can show up as your full self, I have an offer for you. My generational wealth building money mentorship program is three months of direct access to me and my brain to cut through all of the noise and conflicting information on the internet and get you where you need to be financially. Get a wealth building strategy, action plan, curated resources, and emotional support to put you on the path towards your abundant life. The link is in the show notes. So talk to me about how your family is now. Like, were you in the dorms when you went to college? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you left the house and now you're back for a year. So how has that been? <laughs> as much as they don't want me here, I also don't want to be here. <laughs> okay. Um, we have a big family. Uh, it's like seven people in the house. Wow. Yeah. But it's relatively quiet so i appreciate that i appreciate no rent i appreciate freeloading off everything and me and my mother's relationship i don't really talk about my father very much because we don't really talk um but you don't interact yeah yeah 
comes to me for like functional things like how do you use this on my phone but me and my mother's relationship has gotten a lot better like we talk just like chat about life but not very important things you know so do you feel like you've made a transition into like the adult child relationship i think we're more like friends acquaintances relationship that's that's actually like really common with asian moms or at least chinese moms yeah Um, also she's really young so that doesn't really help (laughs) okay okay but um you said there's seven of you and i know you have siblings so where do you fall in that lineup would you want to take a guess (laughs) I always ask people this. I don't think you're the oldest, but I think you're on the older half of the the lineup. Interesting. I'm the oldest. Okay. Yeah. And my siblings are a lot younger than me. So I basically raised my siblings at home because my parents were never home. But my I have a sister who is 16 and I have a brother who's 14. And how do they feel about you being in the house? Uh, They're like, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think my sister enjoys it because I take her places. Mm. She doesn't know how to drive yet, but okay. she's learning. Are you the one who's teaching her how to drive? No, I can't teach people how to drive. You're not over 25 yet. Is that what it is? Oh, well, not that, but like, I don't think my heart can take it. <laughs> I'll just be sitting there like, no, stop. Oh my God, don't do this. I don't. Yeah, I my mom couldn't really take it either. I ended up learning from my high school sweetheart. So yeah, my girlfriend's actually teaching her. So <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> you find the one that can can handle it and exactly. just go for it. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I do want to ask, like, how do you feel that like identifying as queer has impacted your mental health? Oh God, family wise, probably negatively still not out to my mom but there have been instances where my mother seems like she's suspicious uh, <laughs> before this hair i had an undercut and i looked like a boy for forever basically okay but what did she say about that every year she would be like so when are you growing out your hair right okay because what i hear from my mom i've shown like my my friends did like the pixie cuts before i did and she saw that and she's like but they look like boys and i was like mom that's the point like so did she ever say anything like that to you no she would always be like when are you growing out your hair where are your girl clothes Okay, that's interesting because it's like there's an implication there, but it's not so much like explicitly saying like you look like a boy or like that you need to be more girly. Like that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, it sounds slightly more neutral, but I don't know whatever the tone was that you delivered it in or any of the context. Yeah, but the one thing I really remember growing up, this was high school. I don't remember what year, but she was taking me to a science Olympiad competition in the morning. and. We were in the car and it was just like super tense atmosphere. And I was like, this is weird vibes going on. And then she was like, Karen, you don't like girls, right? And I was like, holy fuck, what the fuck? Where are they? Oh my God. <laughs> so I stayed silent. And she was like, as long as you don't like girls, everything's okay. And I was like, oh, okay. That like, that really, like, no wonder you are not out to her because she already said something. Yeah. And then like, just other things here and there. When the Supreme Court decision came out, she uh-huh. was like, why is this so disgusting? You know, just like comments here and there, right? Uh-huh. 
Yeah, and then there was another call. I was in college this time, and we were on the phone, and she was like, you know you're a girl, right, Karen? And I was like, yeah, I'm a girl. (laughs) I know. That must mean something else to her, right? Like, on top of the the gender thing, she's thinking that, that, like, it comes with all these other expectations. Yeah. Which, like, everybody knows I'm not binary, right? I'm like... F all those expectations, right? So Exactly. And I was like, if I had been non-binary or trans, this would be really, really bad for me if she was like, you know you're a girl, right? <laughs> but yeah, so just comments like these. So yeah, they stick with you and they negatively impact your mental health. Mm-hmm. Because this is, this is your parent that's saying it. Yeah, and a lot of it is like... I still write a lot about this, like in my poems. It's like the guilt and shame of not being what my mom wants me to be. Right. The thing about it is like I can never become what she wants me to be. Right. It's impossible. Just like reckoning with that. So and and you're in this spot right now, right, where you're still kind of like letting her have that illusion. But that also means that you can't be your fully authentic self in front of them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I also wonder, like, has your parents ever tried to like, have they asked to read anything you write? Uh, No, <laughs> they're all in English, too. So they can't I mean, they can't understand any of it. OK, so in their head, that's like that's extra work. We'll just leave it the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. I just told them that I will be a professor, which I want to be. And then my mom was like, okay, cool. That's like, there you go. It's a respectable profession, especially for Asians, right? That like mm-hmm. in Asia, they respect teachers a lot more than we do in America. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. She was like, a coworker told me a professor earns, earns X amount a year. So you better go study now. <laughs> oh really okay so she's like oh, that's a good amount of money that's livable as like you should do it yeah well that's good so i'm curious did your parents ever have aspirations for what your career should have been no they were very like chillax about everything okay they, honestly i was like a latchkey kid so what does the latchkey kid mean it just means like you're at home by yourself like from a young age um, okay got it yeah and they were never home, so I basically grew up by myself. I started staying home when I was like seven or eight. It's really young. They were always just working, so they didn't really have time or energy to like be like, you had to do this or do that. How, what are your grades or whatever, right? To like helicopter my studies. Like as long as I got A's, it was fine. Got it. Get off my back. I got A's. Good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one thing I didn't ask have you like ever considered taking medication for your mental health or have you in the past? I have not taken medication. I am open to medication, but to be honest, I'm a little bit scared of medication. I feel like my symptoms aren't too severe, like to warrant taking medication. Right, like they're manageable. Yeah, it's like sort of manageable on my own. Well, now that I think about it, wh- where did this fear of medication come from? Yeah, that's 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 usually because I was I had the flu like last week or so and i was like mm. no i'm not gonna take you're gonna brute this. force your way through exactly yeah. but i ended up taking meds because it was really bad <laughs> but i was like huh interesting now i have to dig deep about this fear of medication did your therapist never suggest going on medication no um we never talked about medication yeah okay yeah i think sometimes it's like if no one ever brings it up mm-hmm. then it's something that's kind of like ambiguous and usually so for people who've never gone to therapy 
usually your therapist is not the person who can prescribe your medication. So it also makes sense that they don't say anything because they'd have to refer you to a psychiatrist who would like help evaluate what you could be prescribed and at what level and find the right medication for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So depending on where you go, if their facility isn't set up to do an easy referral, it it may never come up because they're like, what am I going to do with this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience? Oh, well, on top of my head, I don't really have anything. Just like your basic. I feel like my coping mechanisms are so basic. (laughs) (laughs) The simplest things. Yeah, like journaling, doodling. But I will say that like this helps for me, like maybe not everybody, having something that you have to take care of. So I have four plants now, two succulent, two cacti. Nice. (laughs) They're all easy to take care of, but I still nonetheless have to water them every, you know, two, three weeks or so. Right. You have to pay attention. I've done it where I've either overwatered them or underwatered them, right? Like I live in the desert and I still can't (laughs) get it right. Uh, my poor father's plant has died. I'm like taking little like stems and replanting them in new pots. I love that advice because I've also remembered this quote from a TED talk that was like, if you're feeling helpless, help someone. Yeah, exactly. And like taking care of something as simple as a plant isn't even that much responsibility, but it gives you a sense of control. Mm-hmm. And also like something to live for, right? Mm-hmm. If you like feel like you have nothing else to like for my friend, it is her cat. Yep. Like every day she sees her, she's like, okay, I have a reason to go on, right? I have to say my cat has saved my life. Like I am suicidal. And one time I really like started an attempt and she peed on my bed while I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm not going to leave this for whoever finds my body. So let me like clean the laundry. <laughs> you're distracted, right? <laughs> Yeah, and then it was over. So, Okay, well, thank you so much for being open to sharing all of this with the audience. I really appreciate you coming on. I think mental health is something that we really don't talk about much in the Asian American community, even though like the way we grow up with like immigrant parents and certain stigmas that the Asians bring over makes it worse. So I'm so glad we could have this conversation. For the audience, would you repeat for us how they can find you? Yeah, so I I host my own podcast called MX Asian American, and you can find it on Instagram. And I mean, if you want to listen to it, you can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but Instagram at MX Asian American. And then if you want to follow me on my personal Instagram, it will be underscore underscore K dot Z. Awesome. And all of that will be in the show notes. So thank you so much, Karen. Thank you so much, TJ. I know that something in this episode left you feeling, oh my God, that's so me. And I want to hear about it. Leave a review on iTunes or tag me on social media and share your relatable story with us so that we can normalize our experiences as Asian Americans and help more people feel safe to step outside of the box. I can't wait to hear about it. You can find me on Instagram at tj.wey and don't forget to design your abundant life.